Get ready to get blitzed on the Blitz Podcast at thehuddle.com with your host, Steve Gallo and Harley Schultz. Welcome back to another episode of the Blitz Podcast, or as I should say, a playoff episode of the Blitz Podcast. Of course, I've got Harley here with me. Harley, how's it going, my man? You know, it's going pretty good here in Minnesota, where uh, the Vikings are about to come on TV here to face the Seattle Seahawks, and they need this win. So I'm I'm really hoping that they can kind of play through things. But personally, of course... Uh, everyone knows I am a Chiefs fan, so I'm very, very excited about them beating the uh, Baltimore Ravens and, more importantly, the New England Patriots losing this week. So it, it's looking more and more like uh, the AFC might go through Arrowhead. So for what it's worth, as our um, listeners know, we usually are you know, recording this during the game. We're actually recording early tonight thanks to some winter storm that has um, crippled my area. So I have the ability to record earlier tonight. Got almost 15 inches of snow, which is funny because Harley's up in the um, Adirondacks and, and the North Pole or something like that, where you've had, you said, what, how many? How much have you gotten so far this year? Uh, this year we've gotten a surprising maybe three or four inches in the uh, Twin Cities metropolitan area of Minneapolis and St. Paul. But uh, we're more than familiar with our share of downfalls. And uh, now, obviously, you've got cities like Buffalo, uh, who are really, really known for huge snowfalls uh, this time of year. But I always hearken back to the greatest snowstorm I ever lived through, which was October of 1991, Halloween night. Uh, <laughs> the snow was so high that uh, cars couldn't get through on streets. I mean, it was up to my waist. And back then, uh, before I'd shrunk a little bit now because I'm getting old, but back then I was probably 6'4 officially, perhaps 6'5 might be what they listed me as in the programs. But uh, I was working at the then Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome, which was the former site of the Minnesota Vikings uh, before moving into new U.S. Bank Stadium a couple of years ago. And I was actually working a non-football game. I was working a, I believe it was a truck and tractor pull and following the game, the big monster truck style vehicles were not able to get up the ramp to exit the stadium because the ramp was so packed with snow and ice. So literally they had backstage performance staff down there pushing these semi trucks and monster trucks up this ramp to get out of the stadium. So the biggest storm that I remember was when I was living just outside of Philadelphia in one of the suburbs. It was 95 or 96. I think it was 96. And we got over 30 inches of snow. In that part of the country, that's a lot of snow. You know? It really is. It, I mean, it, we're used to four, six, eight, some 10s and 12s here and there, even 15 sometimes. But, but you get above 20 inches. That's a lot of snow. And I remember two things from that. One, the townhouse that we were living in me and my roommate 
the parking spot was right up against the road. So it wasn't like had a driveway. It was like you pulled in and the road was right behind you, right? So you couldn't get like a running start if you cleared your driveway out to try and get over some heavy snow. Mm-hmm. Well, we finally take time to dig out because the plows don't come through. And then guess what happens? The plows come through and they cover us in. We got to dig back out to get out, right? So we did that mm-hmm. three times, if I remember correctly. The other thing is everything, and I mean everything, seemed like it was closed for months. Of course, it was probably only days, but it seemed like months, right? So cabin fever sets in. I'm getting just, I'm going off the wall. So I say to my roommate, I'm taking a walk to 7-Eleven. You want anything? He goes, it's not going to be open. I said, I don't care. I'm going to 7-Eleven. I walked like three miles to the 7-Eleven to see that it absolutely was closed, which I knew it would be. But I felt good that I got out and wasn't going with cabin fever. So today it's different. Now I'm like, oh, I wish I could stay inside because I don't want to have to go out and shovel all this crap. Well, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because uh, we talked a couple weeks ago about perspective. Yes. And there's perspective with weather, too, because it's like obviously uh, we each have our own expectations of what we get in terms of weather and what it means. But. You think about this, and then you think about a city like, say, Atlanta or uh, Houston that doesn't usually get a lot of snowfall, uh, even in the coldest months of the year. But when they do get even a slight amount, like even like uh, a trace amount of snow, it can completely cripple those cities. Oh, now don't get me wrong. You get two to three inches here, and they're crippled here. I mean, and if they're not crippled, they're freaking out about it. So. I'm at least, you know, because I'm from the Northeast, it doesn't bother me. I'm just like, what are you guys, what are you worried? What, what, what? You're buying how many things of water and bread because they're projecting an inch and a half to two inches? And, and, you know, initially it was, we were going to get this big, huge storm. Then it was down to three inches if we're lucky. Then five to eight, we wound up with almost 15. Um, The biggest thing was the dog. He did not like the snow um, because it's taller than him. So I had to dig him out and make him a little racetrack around the backyard so he could do his business and stuff like that. Well, no, we're obviously, we're talking this because this is what we've each experienced recently, but it actually is important from a fantasy standpoint too. When you consider that this is the time of year where weather can start affecting some of your decision-making processes. And, uh, we, we we got a little bit of a scare this past weekend with the saints uh, going to Tampa Bay. It wasn't snow, but it was supposed to be a lot of rain in that game. And, I think a lot of people faded some of the players from that because of the prescription for heavy, heavy doses of rain. But it, that, that's kind of like plays into how important it is to keep an eye on that sort of thing come Sunday morning. Because at the very least, uh, weather factors will change your dynamic from starting players on a DFS standpoint, even if it doesn't change your mind for redrafts and dynasty leagues where you're putting together probably your best normal roster. But uh, okay. when, when you're forced to choose between uh, two different guys who you consider to be very, very similar, and one is playing in stormfront conditions and the other one isn't, it, it's good to know that. So then let me ask you a question. Let's put together some weather types, and then we'll ask the question if it makes a difference in your decision-making. So we've got rain and wind. Snow. I would even put sleet as its own category because that can be different. And then cold. Anything else you can think of? Well, I don't think heat's really a factor no. unless you're playing in Denver and you've got to deal with heat and altitude then. But uh, no, I, I think when you're talking 
those are the main issues. Uh, wind, rain, sleet, and snow. Okay, so does rain move? Extreme the- cold, maybe. Extreme cold, too. Well, I put cold. So cold, to me, cold would be extreme cold is what I'm talking about. Um, sub, you know, sub-freezing temperatures. So does rain move the needle for you? It can a little bit. What I tend to find when you've got rain is that uh, depending on if it's associated with wind as well, that can create a little bit of havoc and teams won't be able to throw the ball deep. So if you've got uh, a lot of like speed receivers, outside receivers, I, I weigh them down a little bit and I increase the value a little bit of my slot receivers, the guys who go underneath, the, the guys who get the hard yardage uh, catches, including tight ends too, as well as pass catching running backs who will get that. But the other factor from that is that when you're playing on a wet track, Mm-hmm. And this is like, gamblers will know when they're watching horse racing and they, they think about horse race betting, they, they know which horses perform well on a wet track. It's the same in football. If, if you've got some players uh, that are more elusive uh, when they're playing on, on, on a wet field, that can certainly come into play as a positive for both running backs and receivers. So that's what I was going to say. I don't let rain really impact my decision making on the offensive side of the ball. Um, if I'm really torn between one or another guy, it might be a small tick against. But I'll say this. The rain, as long as it's not just torrential to where it's hard to see because of it, I think it lends an advantage to those quick, titch, quick twitch players because when you're chasing somebody, it's always harder to chase and follow than it is to be the one that knows where you're going. So if footing becomes an issue, it does become a benefit for the offense. So I don't let rain dictate what I do, basically. And further to that, I would like to add that it's easier for a wide receiver to make forward cuts and stuff than it is for a defensive back to go backward, backpedal in the rain, wet field. Okay. What about wind? Wind is the the biggest issue, I find, is when the wind becomes too much to handle – uh, that's when passing games will take the ball out of the hands of their quarterbacks a lot of times and, and put the ball into the hands of the running backs more. And so high winds, impact winds, yep. are the biggest concern for me, even more than, say, snow or sleet. I would agree 100% with you. It impacts my decision to play any kind of receiver or quarterback, as well as kickers if you have them. And if I'm at a you know crossroads where I've got two running backs that I don't know who I want to play, I might lean a little more heavily to the guy that's in the wind game, knowing that they're going to try and control the ball that way because they know they won't be able to pass too much. So I do think that wind is at the top of when you're looking at what kind of weather is going to impact me in the most negative manner. It's usually going to be wind for me. Mm-hmm. What about snow? Snow, actually, uh, I, I think there's certain quarterbacks that fare poorly in snow and others that fare well in snow. But for me, I usually use snow as a defensive mechanism in choosing defenses that I might want to play. When you get the snow, again, your field is going to be a little sloppy, a little slippery. Yep. Uh, the ball is going to be sloppy and slippery. So there's going to be a good chance for a team turnovers. to maybe get some turnovers either off of fumbles or off of uh, balls that might get batted up into the air. and get like uh, Or just interceptions uh, based on the fact that the receiver slipped and then it's right there in the DB's arms type thing. Exactly. So if you've got a game where snow is a factor, I don't really have it too much effect on my offense, but I definitely 
choose those games as great defensive choice games. So if you've got a couple t- defenses to choose from. Again, same thing with the receivers, more wide receivers and tight ends. I will downgrade them just a little bit of a tad, depending on how heavy the snow is. Visibility is more important to me than actually being some snow on the ground. Um, but then the biggest thing is it doesn't, it doesn't bother me for a running back, just remember what LeSean McCoy did in basically a blizzard a few years ago in Buffalo. Remember? <laughs> yep, I remember that game. Um, was it actually was it Buffalo or was that with the Eagles? I forget, but it doesn't matter. It just it was one heck of a game. Um, but yeah, so I don't really let it bother me too too much. Sleet, now on the other hand, um, that would be more concerning because that's going to make it hard to focus. Right? If you have to look mm-hmm. back. Um, it makes for slicker conditions, and I think again the same thing where. If I'm playing a defense, that might help me decide I'm going to go here because there could be more turnovers and such. Well, I think sleet, again, you're, you're talking about a situation where you can go back and forth between rain and snow. In those cases, that's when the track can get particularly wet. Yeah. And, and one important thing to consider there, specifically from a daily fantasy standpoint, or as well as in a regular league too, is that if you've got a player who is either A, coming back from an injury dealing with an acute injury or who is injury prone, those are the type of guys in those conditions that could sustain a injury early in the game and then get taken out of the game completely because of that. So Or somebody that's been dealing with a soft tissue injury. Soft tissue, exactly. Hamstrings, uh groins. They could tighten up easier. Yep. Exactly. Um and then cold, or I should say extreme cold. Um how does that factor in? Well, again, there's certain quarterbacks that they're yes. okay in it. There's other quarterbacks that absolutely hate it. And you can kind of gauge that based on where they played their college ball a lot of times, how comfortable they are in cold conditions. Now, once you get to the NFL, though, it's kind of assumed that you're going to play some games outside sometimes in, in poor weather conditions, including cold weather conditions. So the players that get really affected by the cold are the receivers – who have to try to catch balls thrown to them when they're stinging off your hands when they throw it. And and perhaps more importantly, your specialists, your kickers and your punters, uh, because those guys will be kicking a ball that's hard. Even the balls that are kept aside for the kickers, those get hard during the game. And And as as a guy who's tried to kick a ball and was horrible at it, uh, it stings when the balls are in good conditions. (laughs) Well, and what I was going to say is those guys usually are sitting on the sideline waiting longer to get back out there to do their job. So they, they can, I want to say cramp up, but you know, and freeze up and you're not as loose because of that. A lot of times, um, you kind of segued right where I wanted you to go. Um, we didn't talk about this in advance. Um, but you basically described, I'm going to use an example. I saw it on Twitter. I believe it was Evan Silva. I'll give him credit. You can go look at his timeline. He pointed out, that um, Jared Goff lived and played high school in California. I should say, I think, Southern California, because Northern California could be quite cold. Mm-hmm. Played his college ball in warm part of California. Now plays in L.A., and you don't want to go look at his numbers in the cold. <laughs> and if your quarterback's numbers are struggling in the cold, right? Yep. Your wide receivers are probably going to, and your, your receivers in general are going to struggle because of that. Um, remember, for years, Tampa Bay... Um, couldn't win a game under 32 degrees or something like that. It's a, it's a real thing when you're not adjusted to playing in that kind of temperature. Exactly. And uh, 
it, it was actually we kind of witnessed a little bit of that up here in Minnesota a couple of years ago with Teddy Bridgewater, who, uh, despite the fact that he got to play most of his games indoors, there was that one season while the new stadium was being built where Bridgewater played some games at uh, TCF Bank Stadium, which was the Golden Gophers Stadium. That's right. And you could really tell the difference when he was playing there. Uh, there was no home field advantage in the winter form because he just was not comfortable when the temperature was out there. And there were, there were a couple games played there at TCF Bank where the wind chill was in the negative 30s. Yeah. I mean, it's a thing. So of the th- of the five things we said, rain, wind, snow, sleet, extreme cold, wind is at the top, and that extreme cold is going to be right there below it depending on who the players or the team is are. Exactly. So with that, I'm not sure what you have in the news, but I have a feeling that maybe we might get a segue. I don't know. No pressure. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw it over to Harley Schultz for this week's BPN News. Thank you, Steve. After announcing Friday that Odell Beckham Jr. would be fine for this past weekend's game, Pat Shermer announced Saturday that Beckham would not be traveling with the team for their matchup against Washington. Fortunately, Washington's defense is so horrible that Beckham's presence wasn't even needed. Unfortunately for Beckham owners, Tennessee's defense isn't that much better, so there's a chance we might get a similar announcement from Shermer this weekend. (laughs) Oakland recorded their 11th sack Sunday, which propelled them past Khalil Mack, who has only 10 this season. With the 11th sack, Oakland currently ranks tied for 11th overall behind Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Miles Garrett, J.J. Watt, Bradley Chubb, Chandler Jones, Cameron Jordan, Daniil Hunter, Chris Jones, and Jason Pierre-Paul. Of course, Mack would probably be ahead of them as well, but he has only played in 11 games compared to the 13 games that the Oakland Raiders have played. Thursday, the much-maligned Derrick Henry destroyed Jacksonville for 238 yards and four touchdowns. These numbers account for 12% of Henry's career rushing yardage and 21% of Henry's career rushing touchdowns. It also doubled the number of rushing touchdowns allowed by Jacksonville this season. Considering this strange result, I can only conclude that Jacksonville substituted Rob Gronkowski for all of their linebackers and safeties during this game. (laughs) The Oakland and soon-to-be Las Vegas Raiders fired general manager Reggie McKenzie today. In related news, via press release, John Gruden has declared himself as the coach, the GM, and as our Lord and Savior. In response, Vegas put John Gruden at even money to be the next coach, the next GM, and the next Lord and Savior to be fired. (laughs) And finally, it only took 14 weeks, but all is well with the world, as Jordan Reed is likely done for the year with an injury. This has been your BPN News. So, yeah. I've relied on Reed for most of the year. This week I was going up against him. Um, So it's bittersweet for me. I don't, it did, you you just knew it was coming, but you know, they're down to their, what, fifth quarter, their backups, backups, backup. I was going to say Josh Johnson actually looked decent this week, but uh, 
It, that was all in garbage time. Yeah, so they were already down 40, I think. Um, and and Giant, oh, the Giants' defense really didn't they, – they weren't even trying at that point. If you remember, um, one of our listeners and followers on Twitter asked which defense. I believe he asked for, what, Houston and the Giants? Yep. And I think you initially <laughs> said Houston, and I said, give me the Giants against the backups backup for Washington. Oh God! I hope I didn't say the Houston over the Giants. I, I would have chosen the Giants. I no, but then, then I think you did by accident because then you said you agreed with what I said. So we were yeah. on the same thing. Um, okay, so a couple things real quick. Beckham, ugh, like he's my wide receiver number one A, one B, whatever. I got him and Thielen and Mike Williams, and I'm in my semis, and I really needed him. So now I need almost 27 points from Thielen tonight, which is also bittersweet because if I get that then that likely means that in the Scott Fishbowl I get knocked out of my conference championship, but I still probably will move on as one of the top ten that go through. So it's kind of bittersweet, but yeah, that's just... Imagine if he played. (laughs) He could have been another one of those 200-yard receiving guys this week or 200-yard offensive guys this week. Um, And then Jacksonville. Who would have saw Derrick Henry coming? Seriously. I mean, for the season, the Jaguars rank... 32nd in points allowed to running backs. Over the last four weeks, 32nd in points allowed to running backs. They may jump up as high as Henry went in the running back ranks to being a top 10 you know, fantasy matchup. So people are going to look at something and be a little bit misunderstood when they, they try to figure out what's going on. Yeah, it's a... Uh, it, I mean, obviously by like the late third quarter, you could tell that Jacksonville didn't care anymore. But... I mean, they were getting gouged before that even. So I have a theory, though, for what happened. Um, Derrick Henry made the playoffs in his fantasy league, decided to <laughs> trade for himself, but he also traded for Deion Lewis because that's why he refused to go in to get that fifth touchdown that Deion Lewis, because he wanted Deion Lewis to get him some extra points too. And it just didn't happen. What he should have realized is six points to six points, I'll go get it. Because you know he would have gotten five had they handed the ball to him three times. Well, and you, you know that there's listeners out there that uh, had to face Derrick Henry this week for whatever given reason. Uh, my, my prayers to, and sorrows to you, uh, much like people uh, a few years back, uh, whoever faced Clinton Portis I in did. his huge game. I did. Or I did. Uh, the game that Maurice Jones-Drew scored five touchdowns when he was playing in, <laughs> in the playoff. It, Tim uh, Tim Biakabatuka, I think, had a had crazy three in one game against me. Actually, yeah, <laughs> I used to and call. I remember him one of the, the Seahawks guys. Was it Mark? It wasn't Marshawn Lynch, maybe, but uh, Sean Alexander, who, maybe. Sean Alexander, five touchdowns in one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, most of those happen. Then again, if you play in as many leagues as we play, and it's pretty easy for it to happen against you. Um, so yeah, I mean, Henry's was a oh you just, you, you opened old wounds with that Biakabatuka that actually yeah. cost me a title that year. I used to call him <laughs> um, Tim Biakaba Buzzsaw or something like that because um, he always seemed to do it whenever I was playing him. So even um, Amari Cooper, who's been great since he's been with Dallas, but do you realize that through three quarters he had only scored eight point four fantasy points in a full PPR. And I think a lot of his owners were upset because it was a prime matchup for him there. It was. And he scored total in the third in the fourth quarter and overtime. Forty one point three points. Forty one point three points. Let that sink in. Seven for one sixty three and three in the fourth quarter and overtime. The first three quarters, three for fifty four. 
for a total of 49.7 points. If you lost to somebody, well, first of all, you should have had Cooper in your lineup anyway, but Derrick Henry, <laughs> you shouldn't have had in your lineup. If you had him in your lineup, it's probably because you own Kareem Hunt or something like that, right? So what? here's the thing. Anybody that's going to say, oh, well, you should, I, should have, I shouldn't have started him. I should have started him. I didn't start him, or I lost because I didn't start him, or I lost because I didn't start Dallas Goddard type thing, right? I'm sorry. Don't come at me with revisionist history due to the results that you see. That's not how this works. Because we don't have crystal balls. We don't know how it's going to play out. And, you know, that's what it comes down to is making the best, most informed decisions you can. Well, and I, I think back, uh, I saw online today, uh, uh, there's, there's a thread I'm following. Uh, Yahoo's Brad Evans, incredibly talented uh, yeah. fantasy writer in his own right, just getting reamed by people over start-sit decisions for the playoffs and whatnot. It's like, you, you, you mentioned it. We don't have crystal balls here. All we can do is analyze trends and the stats that we see yep. and lead you the right direction, kind of like give you direction as to who you probably should be playing. But ultimately, the decision comes down to you. If Sunday, if I should say if, Sunday, if Thursday evening, you looked at your roster and said, God, I really don't know why, but I have a feeling that Derrick Henry might actually have a good game here this week. And again, why that would be, I don't know. But let, let's say you had that premonition. Then you went and asked one of us, should I start Derrick Henry or should no. I start Justin Jackson this week? You know yeah. what? We're going to tell you to start Justin Jackson this week because his matchup and his peripherals suggest that he is going to perform better than yep. Derrick Henry. Absolutely. Like, like I said, it's there's a whole process to it, and – Sometimes we're right, sometimes we're wrong, but you just have to play the odds, basically. But here's the other thing. People ask us to make decisions for them, and 99% of the time, we don't have all the information to make a truly strong answer for them because it's not just do I, do I play Chris Thompson or Derrick Henry, right? Mm -hmm. It's, okay, what does the rest of your team look like? It's what does the team that you're going up against look like? Do you have any other players that are questionable that may or may not play? You know what I mean? So it's like, do you have to swing for the fences? Do you need to be safe? Um, Chris Thompson, limited upside, probably in his matchup you're expecting. So maybe you do roll with Derrick Henry, hoping that he gets a, a touchdown or two at the goal line to try and help you out there. It's just there's a whole bunch to it, the, the context that I like to call it, that we don't have when you ask us, do I play player A, B, or C? Well, and I, I think that's, I mean – that's even just part of it, but you also, I mean, every league is different too. Yeah. Your league might reward six points for a passing touchdown, in which case then if, if you've got a two quarterback format or distance touch, distance scoring, distance touchdowns, you, you might get points for uh, defenses. If defenses give up points, you might lose points. Yeah. Again, that's going to affect your decision-making process. Gradu there. Graduated tight end scoring. Cause if you ask me, 99 times out of 100 times do I start this running back or this tight end in my flex position. I'm 99% of the time probably going to say the running back. But if you told me it was graduated tight end scoring, then that's a difference. Then that changes things. So a lot of times we don't have that context and that added information to make the decisions necessary. But even if we do, we're still going to get them wrong. We are like the weathermen. If we're getting close to, you know, I saw somebody giving, I think it was Todd Furman, who's a gambler basically or works in that, in that specific space, a hard time. And he basically said, 
I don't remember if he used 45% or 55%. He says, I'm, I'm in gambling industry. When I get, if I'm getting 55% right, I'm a happy camper. Or if I'm getting 45% right, I'm a happy camper. It's, you have to understand there's going to be losses. So it doesn't always yes. go as scripted. Because if it did, we wouldn't have to play the damn game. Oh, it's all about the game. Yeah. And you know what? Our game is the process. Respect the process. You got to respect the process. Which is why you can't heard that lately. <laughs> I don't know. Which is why you can't get upset that this week the following guys scored touchdowns. Oh, this is going to be a like a, a merry ho 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 Christmas for a lot of listeners. There, Ken, we will start off with Trenton Cannon. Where does he rank I'm, on the on the depth chart? I'm pretty sure he's like the fifth running back option for the Jets right now, and the only reason he's getting touches was because. Uh, uh, the number one guy is out for the season. Uh, uh, Bill Powell, their second best option, Isaiah Crowell, got yeah. injured in the middle of the game. Uh, Elijah McGuire is probably the running back you want there for next week. But yeah, uh, yeah. who who is Trenton? <laughs> and then James Devlin. That sounds like a wrestler's name. James Devlin again. He, I don't even think he's getting started in sixteen team leagues that I'm in, honestly. And we, you can't because as soon as you go get him, he's not going to get the ball at the goal line anymore. So. You just can't do that. They got Zach Pascal, Pascal in Indianapolis catching a touchdown when what did T.Y. Hilton go for? Like 693 yards, but no touchdowns. I, I think it was like 7, 199 and no touchdowns. But yeah, Pascal, he had a little bit of value midseason in a PPR format. He took over when Hilton missed some time earlier this year before they signed Dontrell Inman. Uh, <clears throat> Inman actually missed this game. I think that was actually a big reason why Pascal got extra play. Yep. Uh, he actually might be a sneaky play uh, on Daily Fantasy for the next couple weeks as long as Inman remains out. And then there's Alfred Blue in Houston instead of Lamar Miller. Um, Dam- that made me very blue. You know, Spencer Ware had a decent game against Baltimore, surprisingly. But it was Damian Williams that got the rock twice and got in, got into the, the promised land. Um, Kenneth Dixon in Baltimore, which isn't really that big of a surprise because I actually liked him. Thought he would be mixed in, and now it might be even more so. Um, Brandon Bolden. Everybody missed that revenge game, didn't they? I, I, if you had asked me what team Brandon Bolden was on prior to this week, I would have said, "Okay, I, I don't know." <laughs> Wait a minute. Are you are you ready for this in full one hundred percent transparency? When I saw the first Bolden touchdown, it said "B Bolden." I had to go. Did you assume it was a Patriots touchdown? No, I did not. <laughs> I assumed I wanted to check to make sure it was the same Brandon Bolden, and there wasn't another player in the league with that name again. Because I was like, no, it can't be. That's exactly what I thought. All right. Then we've got um, Zach Line doing damage in, in, in New Orleans for the Saints. Benny Fowler, which I guess we could have seen happen with OBJ out, but still Benny Fowler. Um, Desheen Hamilton. Now, maybe this one shouldn't be on there because with Sanders going out, there was an expectation that the targets had to go somewhere. Everybody probably <laughs> thought it was Cortland Sutton. But no, it was Desheen who got in the end zone and Tim Patrick who didn't, but still saw quite a few catches and yards. And that was actually an interesting game. Uh, early Sunday morning. I mean, I, I've been kind of pimping Cortland Sutton a lot this week. And like I said, sometimes you get just get a gut feeling. And early Sunday morning, I just kind of got one of those gut feelings that said, you know what? Something just doesn't seem right. It was like spider senses were going off here. And, and I took and I actually pivoted a lot of my daily fantasy plays away from Cortland Sutton 
and on to Desheen Hamilton, who actually, like I said, he had a much better game. I don't think anyone would have predicted Tim Patrick having a big game. Yeah. Uh, but again, he had seven catches, 90 yards, I believe it was. Uh, that I, I think a lot of that was just more so the fact that the San Francisco defense was amenable to. <laughs> yeah. And then you had Zach Zenner getting in the end zone um, instead of LeGarrette Blount. Um, Steven Ridley, you know, trolling the Jalen Samuels owners. Let's just say as a James Conner, James uh, uh, Samuels, uh, Le'Veon Bell slash Steven Ridley owner, I've owned all four this year. Uh, I'm really hoping James Conner plays this week uh, just so I don't have to deal with the decision of whether to start Ridley or Samuels. Yeah. So now I have one one more game or one more team, I should, should say, that I don't know who to say is the biggest one of all for just the, oh, my God, what happened. So I'm going to go with this one first, and then I'll give you my grand one. Um, so Sowell so, so, scoring the touchdown in Chicago – no, it wasn't the trick play where they're going to run Akeem Hicks up, the new fridge. It wasn't a trick play with a Philly special in Chicago to Trey Burton. No, it was the big man eligible fake to the 300-pound defensive lineman, throw to the offensive lineman for a touchdown. Um, but this one has to top it. In Oakland, right? Mm-hmm. Lee Smith scored a touchdown. Wait, wait for wait. it. Wait, no, not that Lee Smith. Didn't he just get elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame? He could have. Who knows? Um, Derek Carrier scored a touchdown. The the air conditioning guy? You might think. Um, Lee Smith and Derek Carrier combined for three catches for 32 yards and two touchdowns. Now, if you're a Jared Cook owner, you can't be too upset because he went seven for 116. But, oh, my, what could have been? You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> so it's Oakland, though. The, the, the dysfunction there. <laughs> it, well, I saw. See, I wasn't. I didn't have the Oakland game, so I'm watching it on NFL GSIS as the plays happen. And I see that Oakland looks like they're going to win. And then I see the play to Juju, and it, all of a sudden they're at the 22 yard line. And I'm like, oh, evidently Oakland forgot they're supposed to be losing. <laughs> and then I guess they blocked the dang on field goal. Yeah, there were some interesting endings this week. That's for sure. I mean, uh, of course, none more so than Don't the New England Miami game. Oh yeah, that's. Whew, Gronk looked like a grandpa falling out of a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, I got a little shot at him with the news of today, and deservingly so, because <laughs> what what reason... Yeah, why is he I, back there? I mean, there's no way that Tannehill is going to throw the ball 75 yards down the field on a Hail Mary. Scott, <laughs> Scott Kazmir on Twitter, I think, said that the longest throw in the NFL, and I don't know how long, was something like 67 yards by Michael Vick. No, again, if it was Pat Mahomes, I could see maybe putting the, yeah. the threat that he might do it, or mm-hmm. or Joe Flacco. I mean, some some of the larger arm Baker Mayfield, maybe. Uh, but and this is Ryan Tannehill. We're yeah, Tan- and Tannehill's longest throw in his career, I believe, he said was fifty-seven yards. And remember, he's coming off of a shoulder injury. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, that's one where Bill outcoached himself for some reason. Um, well, I think Bill outcoached himself the entire game by not giving any touches. That, oh, I'm sorry, one touch to James White in the first half. That yeah. was just absurd. And he, and from what I understand, I didn't have this game. He pretty much botched the time clock too, right? Yes. But nobody, nobody botched things quite as much as Green Bay's new coach in the first minute and a half of the game, <sighs> blowing two challenges. 
the hell not to get the interim <laughs> job turned into a, a regular deal in the following season. Oh. <laughs> and yet his team still went on and absolutely demolished the other team. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I had the Baltimore Kansas City game, so I was I was thoroughly enjoying that game um, and not really switching around anywhere else to see anything else. So I missed that, but I saw it on Twitter and I was just like, that can't be right. Like it can't be right. Sometimes just take the five yards, you know what I mean, or the ten yards or whatever. Yeah. Get up and go punch somebody so you can get a fifteen yarder instead of wasting that timeout. I don't just no, don't do that. I'm not. I don't want to say we should do violence to anybody. It's the holidays. All right, so you know what we should do? What's that? We should do some DFS stuff to win people some money, hopefully. Exactly. If not to help them spend money for Christmas, to help pay off the bills that they already accumulated for Christmas. Well, and this week's kind of interesting because uh, in addition to the Thursday and the Monday night and and the Sunday night games, too, uh, there's four teams playing on Saturday. And those games won't be on the regular slates for uh, either DraftKings or FanDuel. Uh, Houston at the Jets, Cleveland at Denver. Uh, obviously, the offense in those games is probably going to come from Houston and Cleveland. You really don't want a lot of exposure to the Jets or Denver. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, uh, if there is a slate there, uh, certainly pay attention to the huddle.com. On Friday, I will release the Daily Dominator. We do that every single week at the huddle. And uh, this week, I'm sure there'll be a little section in there breaking down that Saturday-only slate. Because as everyone out there knows, I love the small slates because it's so much easier to beat the multi-lineup, uh, basically guys throwing their money away. Yeah, or hedging their, their returns, basically. All right, well, let's get it kicked off. How many? What's the over and under? Where are you going to set it at? I've got a number. I've already written it down. I'm curious to see where you come in at. Uh, I think with the shorter slate, we're going to match on five. I wrote six. So we'll Quite use, possibly. We'll use your five as the over-under, and I'm going to take the over. And now you got the hard decision of making, are you taking the over or the under since you set the line? Uh, I actually wrote on my first thing, I was going to say five to six. So let's go Going with over? the, uh, let's go with the over. All right. I like it. Let's match right out the, right out the gate. I'm going to tell you, I know we're going to match. I'm going to tell you the name and I'm going to let you talk about him. We're going to pay up, which I found hard to do at quarterback, by the way, um, I didn't like a lot of the quarterback game matchups, but I liked one. It jumped out at me. I like Kirk Cousins at home uh, against Miami. Come on. Sad, sad trombone we didn't match there. Oh, that was that was vital. We needed to match there for six, I think. I really do. Uh, I Actually, I really do like Kirk Cousins' matchup this week. Although when I look at it, Miami is so rotten against the run. And with Minnesota's dedication now uh, – to try to get the offense more involved on the ground, I really think it's going to be a huge game for both Delvin Cook and Latavius Murray. Cousins will still throw for 275 and probably three touchdowns. Well, but uh, I here's the thing: the, guy, the Dolphins, the, the Dolphins just just me throw this out there. The Dolphins over the last four weeks have given up the most passing. I'm, I'm sorry, the most fantasy points to passers. Outside of the Rams. The Rams are the only team that's given up more points to quarterbacks over that time in the last month. Well, so here's the only reason why I didn't select Kirk Cousins, though. And he, again, he was on my list of guys to choose. I'm going with the not-so-seriously-injured Big Ben Roethlisberger at home versus the Patriots. (laughs) So apparently Ben's ribs weren't that badly hurt. You you think that maybe Tomlin should have let him go back into the game a little bit sooner? Uh... (laughs) He's at home. 
We know how Ben does at home. He's always been ridiculous. He's facing a defense that just made Ryan Tannehill look like an all-pro. And we've been joking about how bad Tannehill is. But the Patriots' defense made Tannehill look really, really good. Ben's going to well, be just fine this week. But i got to ask you a question. How dangerous are the Patriots coming off of a loss? Good point. <laughs> what is Bill? Point taken. <laughs> what, what is Bill very good at doing? Taking away your number Taking one. Taking away your best weapon, but that's so, the problem, though. When you face the Steelers, well, who is the best weapon? Right. Well, that's just it. It's you got to you got to take James. Con- oh, wait a minute. They they may not have James Conner, right? So it's the passing game. So do you take A B away and get beat by Juju? No. You take away Ben. You do what you can to take away Ben. That's why Ben is actually my avoid this week. So I, I just don't think they can take away Ben. I think Ben is too good at home. That and uh, I could be wrong, but it's just that they're the re- look. I almost went with luck, and that's probably who you went with. Um, that is who I went with, actually. But when yeah. I, actually, I looked at, uh, I, I, and we'll talk about this a little more when we get to the wide receiver position. I, I was trying to judge who I liked better between Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster as far as who might be shut down, yep. who might play better, and realistically. They both have done fairly well in their career against the Patriots, and, and the Patriots recently have not been that great at shutting down opposing number one wide receivers. So my biggest thing is, had they had they beaten Miami, I'd be with you, I'd be with you one hundred percent. But I, that's what's got me just second guessing it and saying I, I'm steering clear of that. Well, like as I mentioned, the guy I am staying away from is Andrew Luck facing Dallas. Now, <laughs> interesting thing I looked up here. The 11 quarterbacks not named Carson Wentz who have faced Dallas this season have thrown a total of 14 touchdowns against these guys. <laughs> how many Carson, how just many, over one per game. How many has Carson Wentz thrown? Five. How many wins does Carson Wentz have? Don't say it. I don't want to know. Okay. <laughs> All right. So that's so. I almost went with luck. We should have gone with luck because I really thought you were going with Kirk. Um, there's a lot to not like. At quarterback at the top this week, I it, think. It really is this week. I mean, and the price increasing uh, value factor between FanDuel and DraftKings this week, two of the guys that are reasonably priced at DraftKings, Lamar Jackson and Tom Brady, are, are priced too high on FanDuel this week. Yep. And you really have to go diving here for some decent values. And there's, there's three guys that I identified that I like at their price point. And there's a couple of really deep punt plays, and I didn't go quite that far. There's one guy I really like. <clears throat> the, the value play I'm going with this week is Jeff Driscoll versus Oakland. Uh, Lamar Jackson and Case Keenum are the only quarterbacks this year to not throw multiple touchdowns against this defense. Well, recently, stud quarterbacks like Nick Mullins and Josh Rosen have each thrown for three touchdowns against them. You know, Driscoll isn't that good. And he's missing his best receiver. But when, when your price tag is only 5100 it's not going to be hard for him to reach three times value. No, and here's the thing. Uh, yeah, it's a good play. I mean, the Bengals are facing a Raiders team. Where do they rank? Let's see. Um, they rank seventh in points allowed to quarterbacks over the last month. So, yeah, it's a decent matchup. Um, I went deeper. I went to that guy you just mentioned. I'm going Nick Mullins. I really thought that you'd be all over Mullins. They're in San Francisco, coming off a big win. Um, Seattle is um, sixth overall in that same time frame. So both those guys have decent matchups. I just trust Mullins a little more than I trust Driscoll at this point. I, I would have to agree. And certainly, 
Uh, Mullins has got some weapons there. Dante Pettis has looked very, very good. Uh, Marquise Goodwin is back from his back, personal issues. Yes, and he, he he only played, I think, 20-some snaps, 24 snaps, and it's probably because of his time away. I would expect that to expand, his role to expand this week. So he'll have more weapons, and I think that that's just – either of those guys are good plays. But we didn't agree. We're 0 for 3. We're not hitting 6. Yeah, and if you look at the if you're looking in that Nick Mullins range, again, I said some punt options you might want to go with. Uh, guys like Cody Kessler, Josh Rosen, both of whom could be potential plays. Uh, yeah. Again, you'd, you'd have some pretty ridiculous stacks. I mean, maybe Cody Kessler with D.D. Westbrook or Josh Rosen with, oh, wait, who does he have left? Oh, he has Larry, Fitzpa- uh, Larry Fitzpatrick. He has Larry Fitzgerald still there. He's a decent, he's a decent wide receiver, right? Right, yeah. And by the way, um, do not play Josh Johnson. I don't care if he throws for 525 yards and six touchdowns. If he does, you cannot come back and say, how could you not tell me to play Josh Johnson? I don't want to hear it. Just stop. Again, Jacksonville looked bad last week. I have a strange feeling their defense is going to play a little bit better this week. Yeah. So let's go to running back. Who are we paying up for? Let's get a, let's get go three for three here. I think we have a chance of going three for three. I'm going to pay up for Feed the Beast himself, Mr. Zeke Elliott ding, at ding, Indianapolis. Ding. Uh, <laughs> Indianapolis is allowing seven running back receptions per week. And Zeke, he's fifth in total receptions yep. in all of the league over the last five weeks. Uh, he, he also has 583 rushing yards over that span, too. So just when I was doing this, I looked. I didn't realize just how good Elliott because I haven't had to play him. Um, and I don't own him. He, he saved my season in the uh, full, original Empire League this week. <laughs> in full PPR since week 10, including week 10, over 36 points, over 33 points, 25 points, 25 points, 31 points. That's his last five weeks. Dude's on fire. When you're that white hot, I find a way to get you in my lineup. And he's got a pretty decent matchup against Indy. It's not the best matchup in the world. But when you're that hot, you can overcome those things. Um, I'll tell you where Indy ranks real quick over the last 10 weeks. I want to say they're right around middle of the pack. Um, well, against they are. ground they're running, I know they're very, very good against ground runners. Yeah. But, again, it's all about yep. the receptions allowed and the receiving yards allowed to opposing running backs. And the fact that Jason Garrett's actually calling his number. So who'd have thunk? Well, we got our first one. There we go. Let's go for two for two now at running back. Who are you avoiding? Well, I, I went ahead and skipped over Mr. Uh, James Conner because he's yeah. uh, still questionable. I mean, if he plays, I think he's okay. The I guy agree. I'm going to avoid is Aaron Jones at Chicago. Not an agree- We did not agree. He was somebody I considered. Of course, uh, James Conner was like, I'm not even going to acknowledge that because it's too easy. Um, I did not like Jones going to Green Bay. I mean, going from Green Bay to Chicago, evidently. But I wound up going with Leonard Fournette. Um, they're at home. Washington has been Jekyll and Hyde against the run, and you might think that, well, the way Washington's playing, he'll get fed the ball a lot. But he had a run-in with a fan. It seems like there's some falling out going there. I just don't know if I trust him. I don't know if I trust the team to rely on him at this point. There's no need. They're not going to win a playoff game. They're not going to make the playoffs. So that's where my biggest concern is with Fournette and why I'm avoiding him. I just don't trust what his usage will be. When I really kind of had that tough call there on Fournette, too, it's like I, I feel like he's going to be okay in this game. I mean, Washington's going to fall behind. They're going to be able to give the ball to him or or hide to run the ball. So I, I didn't hate him, but I didn't love him. So with Jones, I, I mean, I hate this matchup. Chicago at home this year, yeah. 
is allowing an average of 18 carries per game, which seems like a lot of carries to, to go against them at home, but only 53 rushing yards per game. That's 2.9 yards per carry to opposing running backs in Chicago. They've also allowed only one running back to score in Chicago all this year. That was Carrion Johnson back, uh, I think it was four or five weeks ago. i got to take a look then. How the heck do the Bears rank 10th in points allowed to running backs? Who has scored big on that? Let me take a look here. Um, oh, that's because I'm on wide receivers. That's why. Um, <laughs> it would help if I switched over to running back and actually hit now. <coughs> So let's do that real quick here and then go here to the Bears. Should we play a little Jeopardy music in the background here? Yeah, carry on Johnson. Um, 27 points, basically. You've got LeGarrette Blunt, 23 points at one point. Theoretic, 13 points. Um, Theoretic, 12 points. So, And Saquon, 17 points. So it's basically been... Lions and Saquon that have done any damage to the Bears at all this year. Yeah, and again, at, at home, though, it's it's just yeah. not pretty for... Yeah. So listen, we, we're already past our who we're paying up for. I just want to give a shout-out to somebody that I considered paying up for. Who was Cause, that? Because I really bagged on him and his offense around him a lot this year, but I really like David Johnson this week. Oh, how can you not? The way Atlanta's playing, particularly against passing backs. And, yeah. Uh, so that's, you know, and, and like I said, Indy isn't, and it's in Indy. So I do think that there's a point where Dallas is going to come back down to earth somewhat. But mm-hmm. just because how hot Zeke is, I don't see how you can't play him. But the the fact that it's on the road, Indy's middle of the pack, points allowed to running backs, almost pushed me away from Zeke. Um, but because when we get to being, wide receivers, you'll see that I really don't like much of the top tier at the wide receiver position. Nor did I. So this might... This might be the week to pay up and go get both David Johnson yep. and Ezekiel Elliott. Or, uh, I mean, other top-priced guys like Delvin Cook. When we talked a little bit about him yeah. facing Miami. Turret Cohen going against Green Bay. Joe Mixon for a ridiculously low price against Oakland. There's money to be, there, there's money to be made by paying up at running back this week. Okay, so now for the value play. I'll go first. Go for it. Very easy to say I want to go with Jeff Wilson Jr., but I don't know what's going to happen with Brita. He could still play, so I don't want to go that, that route, right? I also think it's chasing points somewhat, too. I'm going to pay up for Kenneth Dixon. I'm not pay up. I'm going to say Kenneth Dixon is my value play. I don't know if you're going to go that route, but I'm going to say this. Do you remember a few years ago when we did our, one of our rap shows at the end of the season and we gave our top 10 or top 12 running backs going into the following year? Yes. Kenneth Dixon was one of my top 10 or 12. I remember that. I liked the kid. Um, he just wasn't healthy. And now he's healthy, and he looked pretty daggone good this past week. So I think there's a chance that not only does he get a prominent share, I wouldn't be surprised if he took over the full share. I, I really do like ten, Kenneth Dixon a lot this week. He's not my value play, but not because I dislike him. Uh, my only concern there is that it still is a three-headed backfield that Gus the Bus will get some touches, uh, Ty Montgomery will get some touches, and, and then it's like, I mean, it, it's hard to reach three times value if you're splitting touches with two other backs. And again, I think I think he's a good play. I like all three of them. In fact, I, I, I could easily foresee uh, hedging your bets by doing three different lineups, put your best players out there, and then put each one of those three into a slot Maybe either yeah. as your flex or as your uh, second running back, and build around that player to try to see 
capitalize on which one actually hits this week. And I'll guarantee you're going to go with the guy that I scratched out because he's more of a sure thing. Um, but he's a little bit more money, I think. Um, but I guarantee that's who you're going with. I'll show you the, after you say it. The guy I'm going to uh, go with actually is kind of more of a sure thing. He is a little bit more money than him. Uh, and that's Doug Martin ah. uh, against Cincinnati. Nope. Uh, it's an interesting call because I also like Jalen Richard in this game. Richard's been very, very valuable in the PPR formats. But you know, Doug Martin isn't completely useless at catching passes. He, he catches a few passes for them. But here, here's what you got to look at when you talk about Cincinnati. In what would be considered a good game by the Bengals' run defense, they gave up only 129 total yards and one score last week. And that would be considered a good game for them. Uh, and that was against the Chargers' backup running back. So it wasn't even against uh, – it wasn't like it was against Melvin Gordon. Uh, prior to that, Cincinnati has been giving up 179 total yards per game and 1.6 total touchdowns per game to opposing running backs. Richard's going to get some of the juice, particularly in the passing game. But Martin is pretty golden here as well. He's scored in three straight. He's definitely going to score this week. And I think the yardage will finally be there, too. So the guy I was giving consideration to was Tevin Coleman. He's got a great price. He's got a good matchup. You don't have to worry about that third person coming in and stealing touches. And over the past month, um, he's facing a team that ranks sixth in points allowed to running backs. Now, granted, of that, 46 and change of them went to Eckler and Gordon one week in week 12. Um, but Aaron Jones had a good week. You also had Jalen Richard had a good week against them. And then um, Spencer Ware, I'm sorry, Kareem Hunt had a good week against him also, a decent week. So I, I gave consideration to Tevin Coleman this week. And, and guys, also again, if Matt, if for whatever reason Matt Breda doesn't play, yeah. Jeff Wilson Jr.'s price is still so low yep. that he, you have to have him in your lineup because he is, he is a poor man's Austin Eckler. Uh, he's going to get a lot of receptions. He's going to get a lot of running yards, and he actually has looked quite good so far. All right, well, we are really, really, really up against the wall here with only one agreeing um, through our first six picks here. So I, like you, did not like a lot of the wide receivers at the top end. So it was hard to find somebody to pay up for. The guy I'm paying up for, I don't love the fact that I'm paying up for him, but I'm paying up for Julio Jones. He tends to come in bunches. He's got a couple touchdowns this past week. I'm not, it's probably the first time he's had multiple TDs in a game in God knows how long. Um, but I just couldn't get on with anybody in the top 10, 10-ish that I really liked that much. Well, it's interesting that you're paying up for Julio Jones. I also disagree with the uh, most of the top 10, but I'm staying away from Julio Jones. <laughs> okay. Uh, Julio's stats for his career have always played better on the road than at home. Yes. And, and this week he's going to tangle with Patrick Peterson, who, who has had some problems with taller power receivers, but... He really completely dominated Kenny Galladay this past weekend. So uh, he's kind of rounding into form here at late late in the season for Arizona. Plus, you know what? There's very little chance that Atlanta doesn't get to an early lead here and just hand the ball off repeatedly to Ito Smith and Tevin Coleman. Uh, this this game script just doesn't scream Julio Jones to me. That is, possibi- that is a possibility. Um, over the last month, Cardinals rank 11th, so it's not like it's a horrible matchup. But yes, Peterson does have the ability to shut any one person down. Um, I just don't think Julio gets completely shut down. Three times value is going to be tough, no, no doubt it, about that. Who are you paying up for? Uh, so an interesting stat there on Julio, too, is he's faced the Cardinals three times in his career. And one of the games 
he went absolutely off. He had like 180 yards and two touchdowns. The other two games, he was held to 50 yards or fewer. So, so basically, we don't know what we're going to get. <clears throat> I'm paying up for the guy with the uh, problem quad. That's Odell Beckham going against Tennessee. Now, again, this is assuming that Odell Beckham plays this week and we don't get another Saturday surprise. But Tennessee has allowed multiple wide receiver touchdowns in a game. This includes big games against fellow tall outside wide receivers, guys like Elshon Jeffrey, Michael Crabtree, Tyrell Williams, Demarius Thomas, and DeAndre Hopkins twice. All these guys are six feet and above, just like Odell. All of them play the outside predominantly. Uh, you know, Beckham has topped 100 receiving yards and or scored six times in his last eight games that he's played. This just it, it sniffs like a big game, particularly if he can play. You know he wants to get back on the field. So that was my biggest concern was whether or not he was going to play or not. Um, you got Skyped a little bit. How many times has Tennessee given up multiple touchdowns? Uh, multiple wide receiver touchdowns seven times this year. There you go. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. I just I'm a little scared of the injury and you know in New York and it's going to be colder and soft tissue injuries, all that good stuff. That's that's why I stayed stayed away and tried to act like he was a ghost at this point. Um, Who is your actual stay away though? This week? So my stay away is a guy that you would think I got to be crazy to say I'm staying away from um, because he's pretty much red hot, but I'm staying away from Amari Cooper this week. No problem with that call. <laughs> I mean, I think everybody's going to play him, but guess what? Over the last month, only the Falcons and Ravens have given up fewer points to wide receivers. The Colts are 30th, 30th in points allowed to wide receivers this year. And I'd, I'd know that I said play Zeke. I still don't know that Dallas is going to march into Indy and be the way that they've been the last three to five weeks at some point. They just came off this big win against the Eagles, which basically is going to give them the division more than likely. I wouldn't be surprised to see them have a little bit of a lapse. Well, here's the thing. Even if you think that Amari Cooper is going to be okay this week, he is going to be so incredibly chalk after last week Yes, that you do not want to be the guy holding Amari Cooper if he does beef it. <laughs> you, want to be, you want to be one of the guys – that gets off of Amari Cooper and and goes with a Julian Edelman at that price point or Tyler Lockett for a few hundred dollars less. Yep. Okay. So who who are you avoiding? Well, I already said I'm avoiding Julio. Oh, that's right. You did say Julio. My bad. So we're still man, we're stinking this week together. But that's good. We're giving different viewpoints. Um, I don't think we're going to match on our value play, which means we absolutely are going to match on our value play. Um, <laughs> I can't imagine that. <laughs> it'd be hard. Um, so let's go. Let me see how far down I got to go to get this guy. So he's not actually as cheap as I would have liked, but um, matchup wise, I think it's a good matchup because the team that he's facing over the last month, and there's a trend there. I like to look at the last four weeks, even six weeks, if I'm looking at stuff, has given up the third most points to opposing wide receivers. And one of the three starting wide receivers is going to eat for this team, I think, this week. I'm going to go with this guy. His name is Moore. David Moore. You know, I, I like David Moore. Um, I didn't choose him this week as my value play, mainly because I, I have a feeling that Doug Baldwin will be back for next week's game. <clears throat> he, right now, it sounds like he's doubtful for Monday night's game, but uh, uh, a lot of mouths to feed there. Uh, good matchup, certainly, but a lot of mouths to feed. 
I, I actually went for someone at pretty much the exact same price, and it, he was the exact same price on DraftKings, and that is Robert Foster for Buffalo going up against Detroit. Now, here's my angle on this. I really think that most of the league still looks at Buffalo and thinks that Zay Jones is their number one receiver. So when I think of Detroit, I think they've got one very, very good cover corner, and that's Darius Slay. I think Slay is going to be assigned. We're going to have Slay on Zay. Slay on Zay. There you go. Slay on Zay crime here on Detroit, which means that Robert Foster and another player actually really liked in that same game, Isaiah McKenzie, who qualifies as a wide receiver, but who might get a little t- a few touches if LaShawn McCoy is limited from the running back position too. Those two guys make really great plays. Foster is coming off a huge game last week. Uh, over his last uh, five games, I should say over his last four games since week 10, Foster's averaged 82.5 yards per game. Okay. Can't argue with it. I won't argue with it. Slay on Zay. There's got to be something there. But I just have a hard time relying on the Buffalo passing game for anything. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, I like the slay on Zay. All right, so that does it. (coughs) We're definitely not getting the six, buddy. Um, Uh, Not likely. (laughs) So now we're going to move to tight end. I found tight end to be a little difficult this week because Uh, – Well, it's a a much smaller slate, so there's fewer names to choose from. It already – it sounds like Jordan Reed – is done, so I've taken him off the list already. So, Okay, so at the top of it, you've got George Kittle, who really Shanahan screwed screwed up by not getting him the record. Um, but then again, maybe he shouldn't have because, I mean, Shannon Sharp is a Hall of Famer and has that record for total yards by a tight end in a game. Um, and then you Did have he Eric, have a catch after the first half? I don't think so. I don't think he had a single catch in the second mm-hmm. half. Um, and then you have Eric Ebron. Kittle and Ebron. Um, it looks like my huddle IDP league team where I have Kittle and Ebron. And I will tell you, it seems like I make the wrong call every week with those two. Luckily, they both produce, but one usually really produces, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Last week, I played Mr. Ebron. Luckily, it's not <laughs> going to hurt me. So I'm saying this so that people can take what I say right now with a grain of salt. And if they want to castanza in me, they can castanza in me. But I'm not paying up for Kittle. I'm paying up for Ebron this week. Well, we might have a ding-ding here because I paid up for Ebron as well. Dallas has allowed an average of eight catches and 88 yards with four touchdowns allowed over their last five games to the tight end position. Meanwhile, Ebron, he has scored and or topped 80 yards in all but two games this year. God, I can't remember. Did anybody ever like Ebron this preseason? No, of course not. Can't remember. (laughs) Was there... Wait a minute. Was it? Was that me? Was that me? <laughs> that might have been me. The same guy that liked the Bears to make the playoffs, I think. But anyway, that's just a cover-up for all the other mistakes I made. Um, all right, we're in agreement. Yeah, I like, and I think a lot of people will not be on Ebron because they see Dallas has this great defense, and you know they're playing really good, and they've shut down a lot of teams and stuff like that. But I think he's an absolute steal if you're going to pay up for a tight end this week. Well, and. Uh... Much to our chagrin, I'm actually going to stay away from George Kittle this week. It's not that I hate him. I, I, he's got an okay matchup here. I mean, yeah. he's. I just don't want to be the guy to chase the points there. Like we said, there there was a. I don't know if it was San Francisco that took Kittle out of the playbook in the second half, or if the defense took Kittle out of the playbook in the second half. But he has the highest price on DraftKings, and he's second to Ebron on FanDuel. 
And you know what? At this price, I, I hate to chase the points. Nope, he's higher than both. He's higher than Ebron's less than Gronk. He's he's five hundred dollars higher than Gronk on FanDuel. Oh man, I wrote the wrong price down for him on uh, on FanDuel. That explains that. Okay, um, but Seattle's allowing only an average of three and a half receptions and only forty yards a game to the position. So, uh, I I'm not totally sold. On, on Nick Mullins having a huge game here. I know you, you mentioned him as your sleeper. I think he's going to have an okay game. I think Kittle's going to have an okay game. But again, if you're if you're paying more for Kittle than you're paying for Ebron, you're doing it wrong this week. So that's how I came to this conclusion also. So we agree. I have Kittle also. But I had a player before that, and I crossed him out, because you know my tendency. If I'm not <clears throat> paying up for the guy that's the highest priced at tight end, He's 99% of the time going to be my avoid because I want to save that money, right? So that's where Kittle falls into this. But the guy I almost avoided is a guy that – I'm sorry. I just don't like playing guys that need a wheelchair, and when they get out of the wheelchair, they can't run straight, and they fall. Um, now, I'm making fun of Rob Gronkowski on the final play in the Miami game, but Gronk is who I was going to stay away from. Yeah. I, I kind of agree with that there. Uh, the only reason I, I'm hesitant to avoid him is because Pittsburgh has just been god-awful against the tight end all season. So, again, I'm not paying 6900 for him on FanDuel. There's there's no excuse to pay more for Gronk on FanDuel than you'd pay for Ebron, and that's not even it, as a pivot, not even as a variance play. But 5800 on DraftKings, I, I could see the, the well, switch out there. And what if I tell you that over the last four weeks, Pittsburgh ranks 27th in points allowed to tight ends? Um, so when you add in that price range, that's why I almost used him as my avoid, but I just, I, I have to stay away from Kittle when he's the highest cut price guy and I'm not going to go with him. Well, to say how, how crazy the, uh, top of the tight end list is, if you go by DraftKings, uh, pricing alone, uh, Kittle, Ebron, Gronk, and Cook are the four highest priced guys. The next two guys, Austin Hooper and Evan Ingram, I want no part of either of them this week. Arizona and Tennessee, two of the best teams in the league against the tight end. Yep. Um, and then even in some of the more moderately priced guys, Trey Burton, I hate his matchup this week. Um, exactly. So, and it's hard to trust Jimmy Graham at this point. Um, so I don't want him either. Anyway, I think we have a match on our value play, but probably not because you're the tight end whisperer and you like to go with guys that I've never heard of. Um, I think Kyle Rudolph is priced unbelievably low um, at 3500 Maybe I'm off base here. So I, I originally wrote Kyle Rudolph down, much like you will sometimes cross people off. Yeah. I had Kyle Rudolph there. Then I thought about Vernon Davis because I, I know that you like him a lot. And yeah. Again, it sounds like Reed won't play. But ultimately, I went with the third guy in that same tier for me, and that's uh, C.J. Uzoma. And uh, I don't know why I went with C.J. Uzoma. Uh, again, sometimes you just get that gut feeling that somebody's going to perform. Yeah. Over their last seven games – Oakland has allowed an average of 6.7 catches, 100 yards, and one touchdown per game to the tight end position. Uh, 101. That sounds like a pretty good wide receiver one performance. That That's the average tight end against Oakland. And it's not like it's just over the last one or two games. That's over the last seven games. Uzoma does have 31 targets over his last five games. It's second to only Tyler Boyd because, well, the Bengals have no one else to throw to. He hasn't done a whole lot with them. I don't think he has a single game over 45 yards during that span. But 31 targets, there's a good chance he gets to the end zone here. Well, I, it's hard to hard to argue with that. Um, 
I do like, like I said, I like Rudolph this week against the Miami team that over the last month is top 12 in points allowed to the tight end position and, you know, is what it is. But we did not have a great week agreeing on DFS <coughs> stuff, but I think that we did a good job of educating, hopefully, and giving different perspectives on players um, to our listeners. And, of course, if they have any other questions, they can follow Harley at Nuclear Harley on Twitter. You can follow me at Steve Gallo NFL on Twitter. And, of course, you know, rate us, review us on iTunes if you listen there or whatever format or platform you use. It would be greatly appreciated. Um, if you are anywhere in the listening area that has bad snow and ice, be careful on the roads. And, as always, get blitzed responsibly. Cheers. Cheers.